0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670, The Score. Color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone, joins Lawrence Holmes. Try it with your
0: bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner. He is a fantastic color analyst for your Chicago White Sox, and he is a score baseball expert.
1: As Steve was saying, try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve actually poked his bare hand in the booth and has cut himself open. Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. (laughs) Lawrence. Lots of blood. Social media gods, Steve Stone and Lawrence Holmes. Right now on The Score.
0: This hour is being brought to you by CarX Tire and Auto online at carx.com. Steve Stone joining me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. The White Sox have a three-game win streak as they get ready to take on the Bostons. They will do that tonight. And Stoney even has the night off because the game will be on Apple TV Plus, which you can watch for free at least for now. Hello, Stoney. Hello,
1: Lawrence. How you doing?
0: I'm doing really well. The the White Sox have done well over the last couple of games. And I wanted to talk to you about a, a couple of the players specifically. Before I get into the pitching, I wanted to ask you about Tim Anderson and not just what Tim Anderson is, but his approach. I love his approach lately, seeing him be willing to take outside pitches to right field, seeing power to right field. Are are we seeing a player that is really, over the last couple years, put together the raw talent with a lot of hard work and, and a lot of great work inside the cage and working with the team to become a better player?
1: Well, number one, you certainly don't win a batting title unless you can hit. Tim won a batting title, and he can hit. Sometimes he starts thinking about pulling the ball a bit much, but he can pull the ball, especially if pitchers get really tired of him plugging that gap between the first and second baseman, which he does consistently. So he's at his best when he goes to right field, and I think you've seen this year, especially with that home run at Wrigley Field, he's strong enough to take it out at any part of the ballpark. I think if he just concentrated on power, he would hit between 25 and 30 home runs but that batting average would be substantially less than it normally is, which is in excess of 300. But right now you're looking at a guy who has a pretty good idea what pitchers are going to do to him. He also realizes that, especially on a first-ball fastball, that might be the best pitch he's going to look at, and he doesn't mind swinging at the first pitch, which he does quite often, but he makes it work. And, yeah, you're seeing a guy who is a really, really strong hitter making himself into a much better baseball player he's starting to understand that you have to make all the routine plays at shortstop. His athletic ability will allow him to make spectacular plays at short, but the most important thing is turning a double play when you get a shot at it and making the routine play on a daily basis. I think we saw Omar Vizquel do it. He did it very well. We've seen some great shortstops do the same thing where they, they make the spectacular play, but they're just automatic on the routine plays, make the routine plays, the spectacular plays, take care of myself. And Tim is, uh, is just getting better. I mean, he, he's a tough guy to face at the top of this lineup.
0: The other guy that was hitting at the top of the lineup before he got hurt was Andrew Vaughn. I know that you're high on Vaughn. I, I I'm starting to come around on Andrew Vaughn too. Obviously him not being there is difficult, but before he got hurt, what were the things that he was doing right that made it so that you could put him at the top of the order?
1: Well, the number one thing is he's very strong, and he also has great balance, and that balance didn't just come to him the last year or so. He had that kind of balance when he was the best hitter in college baseball a few years back at Cal Berkeley. I just love the fact that he very rarely will move his hands unless he's actually attacking a pitch. He certainly is strong. We've seen him use the whole field in hitting home runs. Uh, He remains, I believe, the the White Sox RBI leader, despite the fact that he's been on a shelf for now six days. He just went on the injured list. So at least for one more week, he won't be available because you can only backdate your injured list time three games. Uh, So it's three games back. It'll be seven forward, and uh, then hopefully he'll be ready to go. I know they're doing everything they can to get the inflammation out. But he's had some problems swinging the bat, and they thought it was best to <clears throat> just make sure that he's fully rested and nothing goes wrong. Because for a hitter, <clears throat> excuse me, for a hitter, hands and wrists are essential. You get hit there; that's a problem.
0: Steve Stone talking with us here on the score. You can check Stony out with Jason Benetti, and this week with uh, Kevin Euclis is going to be fun when they do the broadcast on NBC Five. Stoney, when they told you you were going to be back on broadcast TV, what did you think about that?
1: Well, I thought it was really interesting because I I appreciate what they used to be, what the NBC Game of the Week was. It was just terrific viewing in those days. And now they're kind of going back to that idea. And one of the things that they've created, at least for this first year run, is you have analysts from both teams joining Jason Benetti. Jason is going to do all 17 of the Peacock games, and then, at least for this first one, uh, it's going to be uh, me alongside him, and we've worked together, so there's no problem with that. And Kevin Euclid is going to represent the Red Sox. As you know, he was a former Red Sox star, also was a White Sox player toward the end of his career. And so I think the contrast of having a pitcher and a hitter in the booth is going to be something that the fans will really appreciate. I'm looking forward to it.
0: I'm looking forward to it, too. I think it could could lead to a lot of great conversations about how each of you see the game and, and think the game. So I, I think it's a great idea, and obviously Jason Benetti is one of the best play-by-play people in the world, so having that combination is going to be a lot of fun. Since we're talking like old home week, do you feel anything when you go back to Wrigley Field?
1: Well, I feel, number one, when the White Sox come over there to play, there's a certain intensity that the fans have that I don't think you see a whole lot of times. I mean, it doesn't matter where the teams are. Obviously, the Cubs are struggling at this point, and the Sox are not doing as well as they would like, but you still see an intensity of the fans of of both teams, and they're good fans on both sides of town. Very loyal. Uh, they were very vocal in that series. There, there was a, a tension in that series that you really don't see on a day-to-day basis. It was almost like an emotional playoff game as far as the Sox and the Cubs were concerned. The Cubs played pretty decent baseball. They failed to execute offensively, but, you know, they're struggling. As far as going back there, uh, yeah, I remember the good times more than anything else. I I spent, uh, between being a player and a broadcaster, I was there for pretty close to 24 years. And so uh, you know, I, I left a lot of what I was in that ballpark, and and it's it's interesting to go back as a visitor. Again, you look at uh, you look at the sight lines; it's a really nice place for the fans to watch a game, certainly. And um, you know, outside of that, I know that uh, that my time there has passed, uh, never to be uh, picked up again. Uh, I feel real good about being on the south side of town with the White Sox, and. I'm pretty sure I'm going to end my career with the White Sox.
0: One more like Wrigley thing, and it's specifically Cubs. You got Mm -hmm. a chance to see Seiya Suzuki. He's struggling right now after winning the the Rookie of the Month in April. What's usually the pattern for a, a player coming over from another league, having some success, and then what pitchers do to take that success away?
1: Well, I don't think that he's any different than a lot of, let's say, Younger players who come to the major leagues in a major city with a major franchise, uh, he had a, a pretty good run of of baseball uh, in Japan. So he came over here, and make no mistake, he's not a rookie. He is an accomplished and pretty polished major league player at this point. What I liked about him is he's well schooled. He sets up really well on fly balls. He throws well when he gets a chance to throw. You've got a very strong lower body, and you can tell most hitters, they have to hit off a solid base. You see all types of body types, but almost without exception, hands and wrists are important, and after that, it's leg and leg strength. He's going to be a good hitter. What happened is, when you come over from Japan, where they use a lot of splitters and a lot of off-speed pitches, sliders and curveballs, they more times than not, they try to fool you. And they did that with him. And so Suzuki comes in, they're looking for all the soft spots, throwing a lot of off-speed pitches. And then they realize, you know what, the one thing they don't have is consistent blazers in Japan. They've got some guys who can throw hard. It's just not hard across the board. I mean, now we bring guys out of the bullpen and everyone one is, is mid to upper 90s. And so what the league did to adjust to him was say, here, let's see if you can hit this one. Now he starts to get anxious because he got off to a great start. Now it's not great because they're busting him inside with fastballs and they're saying, can you hit this? And it's, it's very similar to what's happened to Trevor's story with the Red Sox. Although he didn't come from Japan, he came from a long time with the Colorado Rockies. Now you come here to a new fandom. He's signed a $140 million contract. And the league is just, um, they're just busting a whole lot of fastballs in on his hands right now and he's not getting the job done. He experienced what Boston will do to you, (laughs) boo you when things aren't going very well. But um, I think that the Cubs have themselves a good one. As far as Suzuki is concerned, I think this is just a bump in the road. I think he's going to adjust. I'm not going to tell you he's going to hit 360 anytime soon because I don't think he's that kind of hitter. But he will be a run producer, and he will hit for power. He just has to realize that... They're going to be challenging him more until he shows that, they, that he can hit that. When he shows that he can hit that, then they will go back looking for the other soft spots. But the guy I was very impressed with was Nico Horner. I think he's going to be a fine player for the Cubs. I'm not sure about shortstop. I'm not sure if that arm is quite strong enough. But he's going to be a major league hitter of consequence, I believe. I think they've got themselves a good one. He swung the bat better than any other Cub in that abbreviated two-game series. Did your heart
0: sink into your stomach when you saw Luis Robert run into a brick wall?
1: Oh, of course, especially because uh, he just kind of laid there. (laughs) You know, a lot of people, uh, when they see, you know, the Ivy and the Ivy is going to come about here maybe in in the course of a week as the weather starts to heat up a bit. But they see the ivy, and they think, okay, so it's not so bad running into that. But what they don't realize is there are bricks behind that <laughs> ivy. And, you know, the wall always wins. I mean, literally always wins. You don't beat the wall. And so, uh, yeah, he made a great catch. Uh, Contreras hit that ball awfully hard. Fortunately, it stayed in. And uh, and Luis was able to make the play. So uh, yeah, he's he's healthy. He got a couple of hits in the ball game. He loves, along with Abreu, the they love to hit at Wrigley Field. Whatever the reason why, but now they have an even an even friendlier park for right hand hitters here at Fenway.
0: Michael Kopech was disappointed in his appearance at Wrigley, and I I find myself looking at the positives from it. I I thought that. His fastball was was really good, but he is running into these innings where we see the pitch count up in the 20s. So how can he cut that down to go deeper and be more effective longer in games?
1: The only way to do it, Lawrence, is to throw more strikes because his stuff is good enough. He's going to get a lot of swings and misses. But he's also going to get a lot of balls that are just fouled off because of the late life to that fastball. A hitter is going to gauge it. He knows exactly what it takes. Their their mind and their eyes are computers. They know, and they look at the pitcher's fastest pitch, in the case of Michael, call it 98 these days. They know at 98 they have to have the barrel in a certain spot to square up the baseball and make solid contact. Well, on days when he's a little bit better and you get that little extra hop at the end or extra sail or extra sink at the end, it's taken it off the sweet spot of the bat. So the hitter's eyes still tell him, i got to get the bat out here to hit the ball out front to make solid contact, and that's at 98 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, that ball has a little late life to it. Takes it off the sweet spot, you either miss it or foul it back. Michael gets a lot of that because his stuff is really good, and as he gets more consistent with his breaking pitches, he's going to get more swings and misses. But right now, I think he's done a great job for where he is. The constant uh, balancing act with him is making sure that the innings and the pitches don't pile up substantially early. The the Sox would love to have him uh, ready, healthy, and able to go for a September push to the playoffs, or if they get in the playoffs, playoff baseball. I think the Sox are envisioning having a healthy four guys. Those four guys that are healthy um, would be Lynn coming back, Giolito starting to show signs that his stuff is right there again, and Cease and Kopech. If you can run those four out there against anybody, and I don't care who you're talking about, whether it's the Dodgers or whether it's the Yankees or anybody else, those four can – make it a handful to any hitters in this league, but the key is to make sure that you don't abuse them early with a huge workload. I mean, Michael has never started a full season as a major leaguer. This is going to be new to him, and that's the balancing act for Ethan Katz and Tony La Russa. How hard is that when you have someone who's clearly
0: like openly competitive like Kopech that does want to push himself and maybe even prove himself because of what you just said? How do you go about balancing that with getting him to look at It's fine if you only throw 83 pitches in in May. We need you to be capable of throwing 90 pitches in October.
1: Well, look, it's hard emotionally for a pitcher. But understand something about any of these guys, especially... um if you are a pitcher because number 1 nothing can happen until you release the baseball. Number 2, you're pretty much in command of everything that goes on there because you have an inherent advantage over the hitter. You know what speed you're going to throw at, the location you're going to throw it and what pitch you're going to throw. That's a big advantage. That's why being successful 30% in baseball, you drive a really nice car and live in a very big house. <laughs> and all you have to do is be successful 30% of the time. Shows you how difficult hitting a baseball is. But each and every one of those guys, Lawrence, that is pitching in the major leagues, they are literally the best of the best in the world because this is a worldwide game now. You're not competing just against the best of the United States, both at high school and college. You're competing against the best in the world. And so you're very competitive. So calling him competitive, he's competitive in a sea of people who are competitive. If you're not really competitive if you're not a fighter if you're not a guy who wants to succeed each and every time out beat the hitter with every pitch and then win the at bat if you're not that guy you're not doing this you're not in the major leagues pitching so sometimes you have to protect Michael from Michael because he never wants to leave and because his arm feels pretty good right now he wants to pitch as many innings as he can and get out of situations and win ball games and help his team win ball games and all of that stuff But it's one thing to say, we got to keep you healthy in September. But it's another thing when you go out for a start in May to leave that game before you qualify for a win, thinking you have more pitches left. But, you know, again, you protect him from himself. You ease him into this because he still has a lot to learn. Talking
0: baseball with Steve Stone, there's nothing better than that. He joins me here on The Score. What's going on with Aaron Bummer? And it doesn't seem like he has great command of that sinker.
1: No, he doesn't, and, and that's certainly a mystery to him and probably a mystery to Ethan Katz because right now you have the advantage of every nuance of your delivery is right there on video, and if you want to see every hitter you face this year, you just go into the video room and they'll click it up for you. You have it on your own, probably have it on your own iPad or computer. You click it up and you can see literally every pitch you've made. So what's happened in the past couple of years when Aaron has been successful, he just throws his sinker almost mindlessly, throws his sinker for the middle of the plate. It moves one side or the other. It sinks a good four or five inches. And a guy, if he hits it at all, hits the top of the baseball. But he wasn't thinking about that because the feel was there for him all the time. When you lose that feel, if you haven't really – understood why the ball is doing what it's doing now you have to go back and it becomes a thought process he has admitted he never really had to think about the sinker that was his natural fastball well now suddenly because it's not sinking they're going to try to disassemble the entire delivery and see where it comes out of his hands where's the finger pressure and it could be literally as easy as changing the finger pressure that doesn't sound like much but greg maddox was literally a genius at finger pressure guys don't think about it much you don't hear a whole lot about it but you can make the ball do different things with maybe emphasizing the pressure on the middle finger or the index finger where you're holding the ball how it's coming out what kind of spin you're imparting on the sinker right now his sinkers are belt high some of them are higher that doesn't work for a sinker baller you have to start that pitch when you want to strike you started at the thigh when you want a wipe out pitch or ground ball you started at the knee if it drops four five six inches the guy's not going to be able to adjust to it I mean Zach Britton did just a wonderful job when he was with Baltimore and later the Yankees till he hurt his arm he had a sinker that was that would drop six inches and Aaron wants to get back to that but right now he is struggling with his command and you know there's some guys doing a great job out there. Matt Foster did a phenomenal job. Joe Kelly is coming back here sooner rather than later. Uh, Moncada's looking good, so some of the walking wounded are coming back, but Kelly's going to go right into that bullpen. And you add Foster to that, along with Graveman and along with, uh, with Liam, Liam, you got yourself a tremendous back end of the bullpen. And Aaron Bummer's going to have to really work to get that spot back again. Cause you know, we got a couple left-handers. I'm not going to tell you that Tanner Banks is that guy you want situationally, but right now he's done everything right. Souza, to an extent has actually thrown the ball pretty well from the left side. But when you look at the stuff bummer has, you realize he can be a late inning guy, but he can't, if he throws ball one, he can't, if he gets to three and one all the time. And uh, you know, that, that'll be, that'll be something that he's going to work on. And believe me, they're dissecting every aspect of what he does.
0: Matt Foster struggled at points last year. He's been fantastic this season. What corrections have you seen?
1: I think it's more psychological than anything else with him, but I know he's entirely healthy now, and there were times when he wasn't. Um, What I've seen is better command of that slider. He always had a good straight change, and now the fastball, at least it looks to me like it's up a tick or two from last year. That fastball he threw to Ian Happ and left him standing there was 94 miles an hour. He set him up with off-speed pitches. Happ was undoubtedly thinking another straight change is coming. And literally, he just looked at a fastball right down the middle at the knees. So when you have the command of your straight change and you've refined your slider, suddenly your fastball looks a whole lot better. But I think the great thing for Foster was that He was used in a high-leverage situation before he came in in that last game in Wrigley. That was really high pressure, high leverage. Yes. First and third, you got a one-run lead, first and third, and nobody out, and you get out of it. Uh, Last year, he couldn't have done that. And this year, Tony said, you know, look, Kendall Graveman needs a day off. He's not going to be the bridge guy to get to Liam. So I'm going to give you the baseball in this situation as a trial. Let's see what you can do. Well, he's done that twice. Twice Matt Foster has come through. That establishes that he probably uh, will get the baseball in high leverage situations. But again, things change when Joe Kelly comes back, depending on what he comes back with. I thought about you
0: while I was watching those two games, because there's this thing that happens in baseball now where ball hits the dirt, ball is a single and it gets back and they throw the ball out and catchers will throw the ball out. My question is if someone gave you a scuffed up baseball, would you give it away willingly?
1: No, I would take it home with me. (laughs) You're going to, you're going to give me a scuffed baseball and um, I'm going to make that sing and dance. Uh, I think what has to happen and you know, look, it's a tremendous advantage to get, a scuffed up baseball. Now, I would never throw one that's intentionally scuffed. No, no. But my friends tell me that if you get a scuffed baseball, let's say that it's on the outside of the horseshoe where the seams come together and there's a scuff on the left side of the baseball. When you throw that baseball, it's going to pull to the right. When you throw one that's scuffed on the right side of the baseball, it's going to pull to the left. If you scuff... I mean, if it happens to be scuffed on top of the baseball, then the ball is going to sink, and the bottom of the baseball, the ball is going to sail. And some of my best friends used to work on that in the bullpen. That's why it literally infuriates me when an umpire does not call for the baseball, and the catcher just hands it back to him. Wait a second. I can make this ball drop in a situation that this hitter's never seen me use before. Why would you ever throw a scuffed ball? And they don't throw them out all the time. You see, ground balls to the infield, first baseman throws it back to the pitcher, then the pitcher uses it. But yet he throws one that barely tips the dirt, and the catcher hands it to the umpire. So that 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 never made a great deal of sense to me. But if you don't work on that, you don't know how to make the ball do what the ball will naturally do. And in the history of our great game, there are pitchers who intentionally scuffed the baseball? I know it shocks you, Lawrence. It does, and I know I'm letting the cat out of the bag. But there's been pitchers over the years that had emery boards on them in some spots. They had the eyelets of their glove raised. They had uh, they had other little tricks that they use. Sometimes catchers might I don't know the ball might hit their shin guard on the way back to the pitcher. That happens sometimes. I mean, this stuff is all coincidental. Right. But I will tell you, a scuffed baseball is really tough to hit, coming from a guy who knows what to do with it. One more thing before I let
0: you go. Vincent Velasquez, last week, I was there in the ballpark watching him strike out back to back, Trout and Otani, which is amazing to, to do that. Has he kind of turned a corner in figuring out how to make his stuff play?
1: Well, I think he always had that in him, or I don't think the Sox would have signed him. But... I do believe that's about as good as he can throw the baseball, and hopefully he can replicate that because now he knows it's still there. You know, you keep asking yourself, is it still there? Then you have a ball game like he had last time against the Angels, and you say, you know what, it is still there. Now he has to go back out and do it again and see exactly if the stuff that he had last time is the stuff that he's going to have moving forward. And you don't really know, and you can't tell by a bullpen Sometimes guys are awful in the bullpen. They come into a game and they have great stuff. Sometimes you can, you can hit, hit a gnat in the bullpen. Your command is outstanding. You go in the game, suddenly it's not there. So there's no rhyme nor reason to why, uh, why a guy will bring good stuff into the game. But I think probably what Vince did, he looked at the last outing. He saw exactly what he did. That breaking ball he threw was magnificent. That's how he got Otani. And realize that, you know what, I can still do this. The Sox surely need him. If he's gonna be if he's gonna be in that rotation and handed the baseball, they need more outings like the last one. And hopefully it's uh it's going to still be there because Johnny Cueto is very close to coming back. And when he does come back, he's not coming back to go into the bullpen. And I thought something really interesting, Lawrence, and this is just for our listeners to understand what happens in baseball. We saw a young pitcher named Brash, he threw against us in a Seattle uniform. This was his major league debut, and he threw it unbelievably well. Mm -hmm. I mean, his stuff that day was outstandingly good. And I thought the sky's the limit for this guy, and they've got themselves a dependable starter in that rotation. Well, they just sent him down to the minor leagues because he's 1-3 and with an ERA that was otherworldly. And they're sending him down to be a pensman to shorten him up, to get him used to working out of the bullpen because they believe in Seattle that his stuff won't play third time through the batting order. I was pretty impressed with it, but they know what their needs are and they believe Brash can be a guy that comes out of the pen. But you can see a guy that looks like Cy Young on one game and then the next three or four times, you know, he, he looks like uh, looks like Alan Young from, uh, from uh, television times. <laughs> So, you know, uh, with Mr. Ed, Alan Young, uh, th- that, that's what's happened the last few times, and his ERA went through the roof. So, you never really know. This is a tough game played by the greatest players in the world. They all can hit a fastball, every one of them. If you saw the numbers of Hunter Green giving up five home runs in his last outing, five of them? I mean, this guy throws 102, but everybody can hit a fastball. And if you don't locate it, you've got a big problem. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what we got with Vince. We got a guy who's pitched before, knows how to do it, and let's see if he can consistently do it again and again.
0: Stoney, thanks as always. Looking forward to the broadcast on
1: Sunday. Take care of yourself, Lawrence. Have a good rest of the show, and we'll try to get these Bostons.
0: Let's get the Bostons. I very much like that to be the case. That is Steve Stone.